The scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 27, 1 through 4, and 30 through 34. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said unto him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me a delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Genesis 30-34. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. He also prepared delicious food, delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's game, that ye may bless me. His father Isaac said unto him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Esau, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great, great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's sermon is directed to dads, uh, but will also apply to you as moms. Uh, if your mom or grandparents in here, somebody came up to me uh, maybe two or three weeks into this series and said, uh, Jerry, my kids are grown and I'm seeing all this stuff I should have known then. And so what do, what do I do? And I would just say to you that what we're going to talk about today matters and, and, and it's never too late to do what we're going to talk about today. So I would encourage you with that. I went to a website called fathers.com and uh, on that website uh, uh, was just reminded of some things I've seen before. 44% of children who are uh, raised in fatherless homes are more likely to live in poverty than those who are not. Um, uh, 10 times more likely to abuse drugs you are if you live in a fatherless home. 71% of all adolescent substance abusers come from a fatherless home. Uh, 80% of adolescents in psychiatric hospitals come from homes where there is no dad. Uh, nine times more likely to drop out of school if you are in a home where there isn't a dad. 70% of kids who are in JEC, juvenile uh, correctional facilities, are coming from fatherless homes. 60% of rapists were raised in fatherless homes. And then finally, um, 70% of teen pregnancies come from homes where there is no dad. 
The influence of dads is absolutely critical. And this morning, we are going to look at a, uh, one of the more dysfunctional uh, families in all of Scripture. If you think your family is messed up, well, um, uh, I guess you could be featured in a, a passage in the Bible. Because here we find a very messed up situation as a matter of fact, I've, uh, I've heard the statement and agree with it wholeheartedly. If you struggle to believe the Bible, well, I don't know what other book uh, would include such stories as this and claim to be true. I mean, this is such a vivid story of dysfunction, but it is by God's grace from this tragic story that we see the elements of the blessing as outlined by Smalley and Trent in their book by that same title. And so let's look at this, verse 1. When Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, he couldn't see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go to the field, hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my, my soul may bless you before I die. We discover three realities of the blessing, and then we'll look at the actual blessing itself. But the first reality we find here is dads initiate the blessing. And I would add moms, but speaking uh, to dads this morning, especially initiate the blessing. Notice what happens here. Isaac is the one who called for Esau, not the reverse. Isaac is afraid, his vision is dim, that says to him, I'm getting old, I may be dying soon, and before I die, there are some things I want to say to my son Esau. There are some things I want to do. And so Isaac calls in Esau. He initiated the blessing. Dads, this ball is in our court when God gives us children to initiate uh, the blessing of our own children, not to wait till they cry out for it or seek it or they're in some difficult place in their lives and realize their lives have been absent of, of something that we could offer to them. But the story takes a crazy twist, and it reveals the dysfunction of this family. And so uh, I've talked to many of you, and you have dysfunction of your own, but here it is. Isaac is married to a woman named Rebecca, and Isaac likes Esau more, and Rebecca likes Jacob more. That's how it is. And it's clear here in this passage because Rebecca is in the next room. She overhears the conversation and she calls in her favorite son, Jacob. And she says, listen, Jacob, we need to talk. I've overheard your dad. He's about to bless Esau. He's told him to go kill some food, bring it to him. And once he eats, he'll give Esau the blessing. So here's what we're going to do. You see, Isaac is, uh, uh, or Jacob is, evidently he's not the hunter type. 
All right, so Esau is the, the hairy hunting man, right? Uh, Esau is the hunter, and, and, and uh, uh, Jacob is like a mama's boy or something. I don't know. I imagine if they lived today, Jacob would shop at Banana Republic, and Esau would go, you know, to Field and Stream. That's just my guess, but here these guys are. And so he calls them, uh, she calls him in, she has a conversation, and she says, what we're going to do is just go kill a goat, I'll help you cook it, we'll get it all cut, you go into him, and, uh, and Jacob has some issues. Uh, he says, well, I know dad is blind, but there's a voice problem, and then uh, Esau's hairy. Oh, that's okay, we'll take uh, kind of the hair of the goat, we'll put it on you, when he rubs you, he'll feel that, and, and, and we'll cover uh, our, our, our bases. And then uh, what Jacob does is really unthinkable. It is unthinkable, and it shows the second reality of the blessing, that, that kids desire the blessing. So he went into his father and said, uh, Isaac has gone, he's got the goat, um, he's, or Jacob has gone, he's got the goat, he's, he's ready to uh, provide it, and uh, he goes into him and, and watch this, and said, my father, and he said, here I am. And then Isaac says, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, notice, lie number one, I am Esau, your firstborn. What does this say to us? He so desires the blessing, he'll lie to get it. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Whoa, look what happens. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Wow, Jacob now invokes God's favor on this and says God is the one who did this. He's pulling God into his lies. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And you've got to think Jacob is so nervous at this point. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, listen, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau hands, Esau's hands. So he blessed him. But he has doubt. And he says, are you really my son Esau? He answered, lie number three, yeah, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank it is unreal what Jacob is willing to do to get the blessing, to even invoke God in it. What does that say to us? It says to us that our kids so desire this. Now, I would say to you as dads, it has been proven that if you do not bless your daughters, they'll find somebody else, another man, who will say the right things, do the right things in their eyes to bless them. It is critical that you play this key role as your daughters grow, and we'll talk about it, and here it is. Uh, the third reality, dads and moms, but dads communicate the blessing. So Smalley and Trent in their work, the blessing, looked at this blessing that uh, Isaac gives to Jacob and looked at all the other places and, and put together five elements of the blessing. The first is meaningful touch. Notice what he says. Isaac says, come near and kiss me, my son. 
Come near and kiss me, my son. In the Old Testament, each time the blessing was given, there was kissing, hugging, or laying on of hands. I was, when I, while I was a student at the University of South Carolina, um, they did this research in, in the library. Remember hearing about it? The psychology department did it. And uh, the research showed this. They decided to explore the, uh, the, the value of a physical touch in customer experience. So they had uh, uh, folks come through and check out a book and leave just like normal. That was the control group. And then the other group came through. And when they checked their book out and left, the person simply patted them on the arm. But everybody received the same survey to assess how they felt about their experience in the library. And it was statistically significant the higher experience of those who had simply been touched. Physical touch is powerful. Meaningful touch is powerful. Now it must be meaningful. When Hannah was small and uh, Trent was small, the, the way this went down is we wrestled. I would wrestle with them. I honestly, no lie, couldn't wait to get home from work every day just to have a wrestling match. And so I would get Hannah down in the floor. We'd be wrestling. She would scream inevitably, which would make her mother scream at me to let her up. And we would go through this, and Wendy, to this day, will say, I have no idea why you enjoyed that so much. All I heard was screaming. But Hannah and I just had a blast doing that. Then Trent comes along, and guess what we did? We wrestled. We wrestled, same deal, get him down in the floor. We just kind of go after it, you know, till he screams. And then when he screams, Wendy normally comes to the rescue. It's just this crazy family thing we've got going on. Now, that was appropriate when, when uh, Hannah was five. It was just really appropriate, but she's 22 now. So I don't go home, and when I see her, just throw her down in the floor and start wrestling. Why? That'd be weird. That would just be totally strange. But do you know what I did all through her uh, adolescent years? Appropriate touch, appropriate to her age. Dads, do not withdraw touch because your daughters are going through those awkward years. No. So now Hannah will walk by me and she'll kind of rub my head sometimes. Or I saw her yesterday. Uh, We just embraced. Uh, It's the normal physical touch that is appropriate, and that is is fitting. You may not know that the Gospels use the words hands, fingers, and touch nearly 200 times, and the words often refer to Jesus. I'll quote, Jesus put out his hand and touched him, so he touched her hand. He went in and took her by the hand. Then he touched their eyes. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. Jesus came and touched them. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Jesus touched people. Probably the most pronounced is the leper. If you touched a leper, you were considered yourself unclean. You were banished from the town. But in Mark 1, so early in the gospel of Mark, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you can will, you can, if you will, you can make me clean. I love this. Moved with pity, 
moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Do you know what I find fascinating? Jesus is the one who, with his word, created the universe. Uh, Could he not have said, be healed? And the leper would have been what? Healed. He could have done that. He had no need to touch him, yet he reached out and touched the untouchable. Or Mark 10, same gospel, children are brought to Jesus in Jesus' day. Children were low on the totem pole. They were not esteemed as they are today. Uh, He was a rabbi. They're brought to Jesus. And when they're brought to him, Mark says, he took them in his arms. He hugged them. He held them. He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Meaningful touch. Secondly, a spoken message. Listen to Isaac's description of Jacob. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. All right, so we read that and we go, oh, wow, that's really just a great thing. I want to, you know, it to be said that I smell like a potato patch too. Right, uh, Isaac, uh, you you uh, you know uh, says to Jacob, you you smell like a field that the Lord is blessed. Well, that's big if your occupation is farming, isn't it? Uh, that's huge if if you plan to plant. If it's an agrarian culture, then. You are saying, Isaac, you smell like success, or Jacob, you smell like success to me. You smell like a field. Many of you know that I adopted Hannah, and when Wendy and I got married, Hannah was five, or or she was six uh, when we got married, and then I adopted her. And I was concerned, uh, maybe more than I should have been, but just concerned how would Hannah process this through the years. It just concerned me deeply. So I I began saying to Hannah uh, early in her life, we did the adoption, her name changed and uh, went through all of this. And I began to say this to Hannah, Hannah, if you were uh, on a stage and all the kids in the world were on that stage, I would pick you all over again. Why would I say that? Just so that she would know in my eyes she is so very special. So very special. Trent, his, his deal uh, is, uh, is very different. Trent loves business, talks business. He is a 14-year-old budding, in his mind, entrepreneur. He wants to figure out how businesses work. He'll ask me driving down the road. He'll see one, Dad, how does that work? What is this? What is that? Just uh, yesterday, we were with a friend of his, Daquan, and Daquan's in the back seat, Trent's in the back seat. I have a friend named Steve who builds uh, uh, dormitories and housing for college uh, campuses. It's a pretty fascinating business model, and so my friend Steve does that. Trent and I have talked about it. Trent thinks it's the most brilliant thing he's ever heard, and so we're just driving down. We're in Boone, and we're driving by App State, and Trent hollers up to me, and he says, Dad, Tell Daquan how Steve does what he does. And I'm thinking, Trent, Daquan doesn't care. 
But Trent does. And so recently we're headed up uh, the road and we're talking about business. I look over at Trent and I said, Trent, you know, God has put in you this desire to, uh, to do business. It's clear. You love it. You think about it. Your mind thinks like a businessman's mind. It's clear that God has put this in you. Do you know, most likely you're going to be very successful and, and you will use the proceeds from that success to do great things for the kingdom of God. He will use you, son. It was almost as if sitting to my right and his seat, his back just kind of straightened up a little bit. And he thought, Dad, you may be right. Kids need to hear a spoken message. Trent started playing ball recently on a team. Courtney, you'll appreciate this. Courtney's a coach. He starts playing ball on a team, and it's his first night of practice. Wendy picks him up and says, Trent, how was practice? Trent looked at her and said, it was great. Coach yelled at me the whole time. <laughs> Wendy said, what makes that great? Trent said, I figure as long as he's yelling at me, there's hope for me. <laughs> Do you know what he's saying? Spoken message. When coach quits talking, maybe I don't matter so much to the game. And, and, and parents, when you do the same, your kids think the same. They do. Steve and Angela Merritt were in the early service. Marley, their son, was sitting by them. Steve came up to me afterwards. He said, after the sermon, I leaned over and said, Marley, what did you think of that? Marley looked up at me, Steve said, and said, Dad, there's hope for you. Jerry yelled at you the whole time. (laughs) Spoken message. We need to hear it. Third, attaching high value. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as, as a smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. Uh, Smalling and Trent say, To most effectively do this, use word pictures. So, so what is a word picture? Uh, I just looked up a couple. These aren't mine. So let me compare this sentence with this word picture. How about this sentence? My life is awful. All right, so that can mean all kinds of things, but listen to this word picture. I feel my life is as boring as a VCR tape on constant rewind. The same thing gets played over and over again. At times like that, I want to fast forward to the end and put in a tape with a new job, new house, and a new car. That's a pretty vivid word picture, isn't it? Or consider this one, and again, this isn't mine. Don't feel at all this way about Wendy, but what about this? I wish my wife would encourage me All right, so that's a general statement uh, that husbands, you may say to your wives, I I wish you would encourage me and and she can mean whatever. Uh, You can mean whatever and she'd have to figure it out. But how about this? I know I could be a roaring flame of enthusiasm. For some reason, when I read that, I think of Alan Michael. All right, so I know I could be a roaring flame of enthusiasm, but my wife often hoses me off with her words and I wind up a dying ember. If she would only fan the fire with some encouraging words or a tender hug when I get home from work, I burn as brightly as ever. Wow, that's a word picture, isn't it? Those things register in our minds. They, 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 they stick. And Smalley and Trent say that if you're going to attach high value, craft a word picture that your kids are going to get. Fourth, Element of the blessing picture, a special future. 
Listen to this, verse 29. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. What a future. God's going to give the dew of heaven, fatness of the earth, plenty of grain for bread, wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. You say, Jerry, how might I do this for my kids? I would say to you, this will come only through prayer. You must pray to a God who has given your child to you. You must pray to a God who has given your son or daughter to you. And in that prayer uh, between you and the Lord, you seek him and you say, God, what is your view? What is your heart? Early on with Hannah, God gave me a passage of Scripture. I began to pray for her, and I pray it not every day, but I pray it almost every day of my life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I pray that she will trust the Lord with all her heart, that she will not lean on her own understanding, but in all her ways acknowledge him so that he will make her potentially crooked path straight. And for Trent, it's Psalm 1. I pray for him, that psalm that says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And Lord, I pray, Lord, may he delight in your law and may he in your law meditate day and night and may Trent be like a tree planted by streams of water which brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. And almost every day of his life, I pray that prayer for him. Oh, God, make him that. And both of my kids know what I pray for them. I've told them, this is what I'm praying for you. If you ever wonder my vision for you, here it is. This is my vision for you. This is how I see you. This is what I believe to be God's heart for you. That is our call to do that, to lay that out. God has an agenda For our kids, we must be on our knees begging him, pleading with him to to tell us what it is. And I would say as I look at Courtney again, God has an agenda for your teammates, for, for your team. You are as their coach to seek that out. Whatever your sphere of influence, wow. Jesus did this, didn't he? He had just told the disciples he was going to die. And they are naturally disturbed. And then he looks at them and says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, the old King James says, are many mansions. The better translation is rooms. Why? Well, if you uh, are able to go to Israel with me, we'll go to Capernaum. And when we go to Capernaum, we'll, look, we'll walk inside a synagogue uh, that, that Jesus taught in. And when we come down, we'll see this village. It's the remains of a 2,000-plus-year-old village. And when you look at it, it looks like a little maze. And there are all these little add-ons to these houses. In Jesus' day, when you got married, uh, some of you are going to be thrilled. This is how it isn't now. When you got married, what you did was you just got the materials, built a room onto your parents' house, and the very day of the wedding, as soon as you married your bride, you took her, carried her over that threshold into that room, and consummated the marriage. 
marriage. That's what happened immediately, and that's where you lived. You know what Jesus says? In my Father's house are many what? Rooms. And I'm going to add another one on for you. They got that imagery. If it weren't so, he says, what I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You picture a special future. Finally, an active commitment. The story continues to unfold. What happens? Well, Isaac blesses Jacob. And, and as soon as Jacob leaves, here comes Esau. He's got his game. He's got his food. Here he comes, everything in hand. And when he does, Isaac says, who are you? Esau says, I am Esau, your son. Jacob said, if you're Esau, who was in here already? And then you hear uh, the emotion, the emotion of it. Esau wails. He weeps. Bless me. Oh, my father, bless me also, he asks. But it is in this exchange that we see the fifth element of the blessing, which is an active commitment. Notice Isaac's commitment. He asked, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Look at this. Yes, and he shall be blessed. With the blessing came an active commitment. Esau begs his dad for the blessing. Isaac can't recant his blessing to Jacob. Notice the commitment as he continues. Behold, I've made him Lord over you and all his brothers, and I've given to him for servants. And with grain and wine, I have, key word, sustained him. I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? What is he saying? Isaac is saying, with the blessing comes the promise that I, as dad, am actively committed to my son. And I would say to you, as parents, with the blessing, they must have your active commitment. If you check out, if you step away, if when the going gets hard, you get going, your kids will sense that. They will know that. They will suffer from that. They will know that you've checked out because you're working 80 hours a week or you've checked out because your new love which is a boat or it is a hunting gear or whatever it may be has come into your life whatever it may be your kids will sense it they will know it and inside they will cry out for you to bless them they will never not uh, never stop wanting the blessing if you think that you somehow will avoid the odds. Just read the rest of Jacob and Esau's story. When you bless your children, on the very positive side, you become a herald of the gospel. Say, how? Tim Keller says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Cameron prayed that this very morning. We are great sinners in need of a great Savior, amen? We are. So what did Jesus do? What did the Father do? He blessed us. How? How? Could he have saved us 
all the way over there and never come here? Perhaps. But he sent Jesus to pitch his tent among us. He touched the untouchables. Jesus was called a friend of who, church? Sinners. He touched the untouchables. He, he, there was a spoken message, the gospel. We are more sinful than we ever imagined. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount made it clear that sin is inescapable. We're all guilty. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. He, he spoke a message. He attached high value. How more valuable can you be that Christ would die in your place on the cross for your sins how more valuable can you be that God would give in exchange for you his only son Jesus Christ amen what value he attached high value and he painted a special future in my father's house are many rooms I go to prepare a place for you and there's no more active commitment than to go to the cross to call Peter out for trying to slice, uh, to kill the, 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 uh, the guard, uh, for to continue to the cross, for to, pa- to pass through the Garden of Gethsemane and pray that, that prayer, my God, my God, uh, or, or prayer, not my will, but thine be done, to get on the cross and to pray that prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The blessing is the gospel. And when you bless your children, you pave a road for them to receive the blessing of a father who dares touch us deep where our sin is and speak to us and communicate words of great value and picture a special future and be so actively committed that when Jesus is about to ascend, he says to the disciples, I will give you the Holy Spirit. He'll live in you. I've got you from start to finish. Last night, I'm I'm driving down the mountain alone. And this song comes on. And as it does, the song talks about, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you could own a sinner to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. And as Cameron prayed this morning, it hit me all over again that as a 15-year-old on that Tuesday night when in my uh, religious arrogance I showed up to church that night thinking because of my family religious heritage I was somebody that God, in his grace, called me out. He called me out, and he showed me I was a sinner, and he lifted me up, and he saved me. And that night, I came to him, and you know there was nothing I I did to merit that. 
I was lost. And the chorus of that song says, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. What a blessing. Dads, if you want to pave the road for your kids to receive Christ. Moms, if you want to pave the road for your kids to receive Christ, bless them. Bless them. 